0: Anticipating Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday, means talking about it with friends. We're here with Mickey Maynard, who has eaten Thanksgiving at my house. She and I talk about Thanksgiving, including cranberry sauce. It's on Tip of the Tongue. For the Talk, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Micheline Maynard. Mickey is a journalist with a special expertise in business. Two of her specialties are the auto industry. She writes about it in her newsletter, Intersection, and food. Welcome, Mickey. Hi. It's so great to be back with you. So, we're here to talk about Thanksgiving, and that's really kind of exciting because it's about to happen.
1: <laughs> exactly. And apparently, some people have already started their cooking. I actually got an email from someone who said she started her Christmas prep. But oh, wow. <laughs> given that it's just the first full week of November, I think getting ready for Thanksgiving is, you know, early enough. Right.
0: My mother used to do that. My mother used—I don't think ever in November was she doing thank Christmas, but she used to freeze things. Like she would make her stuffing or or dressing and freeze it, and other things that wouldn't wouldn't be not as good, even though they were had been frozen. So I can understand doing that. I I don't do that. I'm not um, that prepared. Yeah, I would say
1: my mother started maybe Sunday before Thanksgiving. She was, we. Were, I grew up in a very traditional New England focused household. My dad had really specific, there things he wanted to eat. And one of them was turkey with gravy and and not necessarily stuffing. We weren't much of a stuffing family, but definitely mashed potatoes. And they had to be real mashed potatoes, which of course they should be. And then my mother blended in butternut squash, the orange squash, because, you know, we had all this white food on the table and then always fruit salad and her fruit salad, for some reason, that bowl would go empty. I would always try to reserve some a little bit for Black Friday breakfast. And if you didn't, the bowl would just disappear. And her secret was that she dressed it with orange juice. Not anything else, but she just cut up different kinds of fruit and then dressed it with orange juice and let it marinate or macerate, I guess, if it's fruit. And then we always had pumpkin pie. And now older, my nephews who are now, one's a doctor and one's an environmentalist, they became great pie bakers. So in more recent years, we've had three or four different kinds of desserts. So for me, I mean, if I have a choice between the food and the pie i'll <laughs> definitely like you know i'll eat some thanksgiving dinner but i will go for the pie for sure and i know you're different cuz you're not really a sweet person
0: no i i can just leave that and i've never really understood pie pie was my father's favorite dessert so mm-hmm. it's not that i wasn't exposed to pie yeah. but i didn't ever get the 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 crust it was like why is this something that people just wax, you know, over and they would get poetic about it. I I never got it. And when I ate pie, I only ate the inside and I always left the crust.
1: You're like my mother. So Zingerman's, you know, which I wrote about in my book, Satisfaction Guaranteed, they teach a pie class and it's called Baking Pies A Plenty. And I took it one year right before Thanksgiving deliberately so that I would have pie to bring to Thanksgiving dinner. And so we make a pumpkin pie, we made a pecan pie, and we made an apple pie. And they obviously didn't cool by the time the class was over, but over the next couple of days they did. And one of the things that I discovered with pie is that you get the best flavor from a butter crust, but it can burn And so a lard crust gives you a very flaky crust, but it isn't as flavorful. So we did one pie that was a combination of butter and lard and everybody kind of voted and said that was the best combination. So I learned a lot from that class. I actually, that was the class in my book where I actually cried because I don't have the manual dexterity for rolling dough. And I was just trying and trying and trying to get my dough to roll. And I was literally like, tears are running down my cheeks. And they came over and said, you're okay, we'll help you. And I managed (laughs) to get three pies assembled and they didn't look too terrible.
0: Oh, well, that's good. That's really good. So when you when you talk about who's going to be at your Thanksgiving, and, and it's a traditional Thanksgiving, is it still sort of the same family, people assembled with maybe more children as they come along? So
1: we've had a couple different versions. So when my mother was alive and hosted Thanksgiving, it was just our sort of nuclear family. And I only have my one brother, Frank. But then as his children grew up, his wife, Lisa, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, she wanted to host Thanksgiving for all of her family as well as the Maynards. So the Barry Maynard Thanksgiving and it kind of grew and grew and grew. And by by kind of its peak, it was 17 people, which is was very unusual for us because, you know, we're such a small family, but it was also really a lot of fun. And, you know, you saw the kids be little kids, and then you saw them be high school kids and college kids. And now they're grown up and some of them are getting married. And, you know, it was kind of a nice thing to watch the progression. And so we would arrive and there would be drinks if people wanted drinks. And then they love to have a relish tray with gherkins and olives and things like that. And interestingly, my brother and his wife were vegetarians, and my brother is still a vegetarian, so her brother Michael would actually cook the turkey, and there would be the great arrival of the turkey, which was always kind of fun to see, and by the time Michael got there, it was cooked, you know, they would cooked it and brought it over, so there wasn't that anticipated anticipation and waiting for the is the turkey done is the turkey done has turkey rested that sort of thing so Uh. yeah it was a pretty traditional meal um they did go in for the broccoli cheese casserole and um Lots of mashed potatoes. My mother always would bring squash and the fruit salad because I think, you know, she wanted to make sure that, you know, that the squash and the fruit salad were represented.
0: Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting because I'm I'm kind of envious a little bit of people that, that have livelier menus than we had because ours is purely New England traditional American. So you had something different than that, right?
0: Oh yes. So we of course had turkey, but there was always some other sort of thing. There's usually olive salad, which is certainly not traditional, but it was traditional in our house. And so we also had maybe lasagna. And if there was no lasagna, there would at least be pasta. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was always important. And then there was always soup of some sort. Did you all have soup? No, huh? Because I think
1: everybody so to sort of expand on what I said in the Culinary Woman newsletter, Detroit has a parade, the Detroit area, on Thanksgiving morning. They call it America's Great Thanksgiving Parade. And then the Detroit Lions traditionally play on Thanksgiving. They often play the Chicago Bears. And so they kick off at noon. So everyone in in this area, people go down for the parade. People go to the football game. And so they're getting home at four o'clock in the afternoon, which kind of like if the women don't go to the game, then that gives them time to cook and the food is on the table. And I'm kind of interested that we don't have soup because it's cold up here and you would naturally want to have soup. But somehow, you know, it just doesn't make it into the sort of Midwestern menu.
0: Well, I know in New Orleans, a lot of people have gumbo of some sort. I always made gumbo out of the turkey carcass.
1: Sure, and- we make turkey gumbo after. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but- turkey gumbo
1: did make its way up here. That's and I, I always make it on Friday. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So turkey turkey gumbo happens sometimes. But we also like my mother, there was a time when she was always making and this was when oysters were really available. We would have an oyster bisque or an oyster stew as our soup. And then she started to make a pumpkin soup at a later time where she would put the whole pumpkin in the oven and bake it and then scrape it out and turn that into a soup. So she, she did do different kinds of soups and, and, but there was always a soup of some sort. And so that did your, did your mother, how did she do her butternut squash? Did she put yes. cinnamon in and whatever, or did she make it just plain? No, she just
1: cut it in half and put it face down on aluminum foil and baked it for, I would say, 45 minutes to an hour. And then you have to scrape it while while it's hot. I mean, one of the things that I have learned replicating her menu is that you can't let it cool. You have to get the squash out of that skin right away so you can mash it up. And it it's hot and you your fingers get a little bit singed. But if you wait, I, I don't think it's as good. So I've dressed it up. So I've made a butternut squash souffle. I've actually, Laura Bush, the first lady, shared her recipe once. And it's a really kind of a fun recipe. You take the butternut squash and you mix it with eggs and a couple of other ingredients. And then you you bake that again, and then you put toasted pecans on top. Apparently, that's always on the Bushes' Thanksgiving table in Texas. Mm-hmm. So that made it into my rotation. I really like that dish quite a bit. And you can put cinnamon on top of that. But the idea is that you've got this fluffy kind of butternut squashy thing with the toasted pecans.
0: Mm-hmm. I like butternut squash with with cumin. I, I, I like the flavor of those things together. But I haven't thought about pecans, but that's a really good idea. My mother yeah. would also make sweet potatoes, baked sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. And just kind of in that way, how you make a, a baked Idaho potato and you yeah. maybe add cheese or whatever and stuff it back into the potato boat mm-hmm. and put it back in the oven as a kind of double...
1: Like a twice baked potato, except with a sweet potato.
0: And so she would put in goat cheese.
1: Oh, yum.
0: Goat cheese and sweet potato go very, very well together. And yeah. and then she would re- rebake that. I think that would
1: work nicely with pimento cheese, too.
0: Oh, absolutely. That would be really good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, anyway, there but there was just always enormous amount of food and different just just so many different dishes mm, sliced tomatoes you know with a balsamic vinegar or something and there was always basil in the backyard so that would get chopped into the salad and maybe there would be coleslaw there was just there was always way way too much food right. and everyone would watch television and, and watch the football games on television and they <laughs> could, you know, keep going back for more. So <laughs> Absolutely. And then I
1: was just thinking about the places I have lived away from Michigan or New Orleans. And in Phoenix, tamales were one of the traditions Ooh. for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you would see the shops put up their ads saying, you know, $24 for a dozen tamales, but place your order by Monday or whatever. So tamales are on a lot of people's tables. And then the Black community, macaroni and cheese is very popular as a Thanksgiving side dish. And we were not a macaroni and cheese family. I love macaroni and cheese, but it was not something that we had pretty much at home. I would kind of have to eat it on the sly a little bit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah yeah and so were you were you doing lots of of spices and things like that or or not everything was kind of salt (laughs) and pepper
1: well as an adult yes but not growing up and I think back on it and you know my dad had really simple tastes because New England is just known for hearty, but fairly not seasoned food. Uh-huh. And I remember when I first met Judy Walker and I when I was in New Orleans, Judy Walker from the Times-Picayune and other places. And she told me one of the things that set New Orleans food apart was that it was well-seasoned. And I learned that lesson from her. So ever since I've been traveling and living in New Orleans, I've seasoned my food much more than we ever did up north. Now, I will say that where I live in, in Ann Arbor, Washington County, our largest non-white population are actually people from Asia. And we have a lot of South Asians here because of the university and the medical center and things like that. So many spices are sneaking into local cuisine. And I would say that things now are much, much more flavorful than they were 20, 30 years ago.
0: Well, that's that's really good. And Ann Arbor, yeah, you have that that wonderful Jan Longone archive. And Jan yeah, so was that,
1: a great person. Yeah,
0: it, it was. Did you go to the opening of the archive?
1: I yeah, I've actually known. I knew her for probably thirty years, and so sad to lose her. Yeah,
0: I, I went up for the opening of the archive. Well, we could have met then. Oh darn! <laughs> yeah. And I loved, I loved the the music that they had. You know how they had that little um, kind of musical just just part of the interlude as part of the 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 whole celebration. And I just I loved all those songs about food that were being sung. It was just really a terrific, terrific thing. And I still have the corn that was uh, the die cut corn that was. No. Um, invitation that that she did I I just love that
1: yeah I mean and I think that that nowadays so we have as I was saying, folks from India, we have a, quite a significant Korean population. We have a Japanese population because the car companies have their technical centers here. We have our, our Black residents. We have Arab American residents. And everything is kind of influencing everybody else. We have some Vietnamese residents here. And of course, living in New Orleans, my goodness, the Vietnamese food you know, just blew my head off. I yeah. enjoyed it so much. And so I've actually asked people what do you serve on Thanksgiving because I'm just interested in like folks coming from other countries and everybody serves turkey but everybody <laughs> has their side dishes or their favorites that they add to the turkey and then obviously like you'd have pho or pho um, with the Vietnamese people after after Thanksgiving because you have lots and lots of turkey left over and then obviously gumbo and there are just different ways to use turkey you can make it into meatballs you can, you can do sandwiches if you want to but there's a wonderful little restaurant here called Eat, just E-A-T and they do a turkey mole taco with pomegranate and I think sweet potato on it and it's just one of, I always wait to watch for that to come on the menu and that's just just like an imaginative way to use up turkey.
0: Oh, that sounds really great. I like a hot brown. Hot brown Ooh. is always a good way to use it. And it's it doesn't take a long time so that when you're in a hurry and you're going to make a sandwich, at least you can make a good sandwich.
1: <laughs> we had the first hot brown I ever had was in the airport. And we had time to kill before our flight back. I think we were in either Lexington or Louisville. I think it must have been Louisville. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're going to go have a hot brown. And so like six of us reporters sat around eating our hot browns. And, you know, I just remember how good that one was.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I
1: wanted to ask you about the table because I happen to know personally that you set a beautiful table. So talk about your philosophy of, of like your tablescape for Thanksgiving.
0: Well, for me, it has to be both practical and be welcoming. Those mm-hmm. are, are two aspects of it. I don't believe in just making it pretty and then it becomes a nuisance while you're eating. So I, I think you have to kind of balance those two things. I like to I I like to have a lot of traditional bowls and things that are part of the families. And yeah. so that's always part of it. And then also, I I do uh, have usually a written menu that everybody gets, and I like that. And then what I like about it when I go to other people's homes Mm -hmm. is that you know what's coming so you can pace yourself. You don't say, oh my God, there are four more courses after it comes comes your way. You know it ahead of time. So you might not have that extra bowl of soup or whatever. Right,
1: right, right. Yeah, you, know,
0: you won't be able to make it if you do that. So I, I I do really like a pretty table though. And so I try to put flowers and if you can't find flowers then fruit and vegetables on the table and all the things that you can think of that just make it seem welcoming what about you what do you think about we
1: always always have had linen tablecloth linen napkins by mother's wallace sterling silver the dishes kind of rotated so she had this set that she got when she was a bride that's i mean you would call it sort of stoneware but they're mid-century modern Metlock California ivy, which is white with green ivy on them. And I love those dishes. I just adore those dishes. And she had fine china too, but the nice thing about the California ivy was it would safely fit in the dishwasher. So so Yeah, we use that a lot. And then when I had Thanksgiving, some friends over last year, I got my china out, which is Royal Dalton Arcadia, which is Kind of a fluted edge with with wildflowers on it, and I have inherited my mother's silver, so I got the silver out, and I had napkins. And you know, I just think if you're going to have a holiday meal, like a Thanksgiving meal or Christmas or New Year's, get the stuff out. And I use mine. I mean, when I was living in New Orleans, I use my Arcadia for my everyday dishes. Because the story about that is my very first job was at Jacobson's department store here in Ann Arbor. And I was assigned to be a gift wrapper in gifts in China. So all the brides, you know, all the shower presents, all that would come through and I would be wrapping these gifts and I would turn everything over and look at the labels on the And figure out, you know, from the other sales clerks, how do you take care of this? And one thing that I learned was that you're fine putting your sterling in the dishwasher, but get it out immediately and dry it if it's not dry, because you can get rust spots. And some of those blades are not silver.
0: Right. Um, and also, if you have pistol handle knives, you shouldn't put that in the dishwasher. No, because they can come loose.
1: Yeah. Although anything that's sterling, solid sterling, there's a, there was a wonderful shop in New Orleans called the As You Like It Silver Shop. And they have closed as a shop, but they're doing business online. And so my godmother, Maxine, for some reason had three, three place settings of Francis First. Which is another, I think it's Gorham. And I went to As You Like It and I filled in with three more place settings. I have six of Maxine's, I have all my mother's. I have my own, which is Wallace Violets. But the way I found Arcadia was by selling all these different china patterns. And, you know, 19 year old me is looking at, you know, Floridanica and Spode and all the Royal Dalton and all that. And I just fell in love with Arcadia and I still love it to this day. So I really think if you're going to have a holiday meal, you should get everything out. And I really am one of those believers in using it because I there, there's a wonderful book. I wanted to share this with you called Joie, J-O-I-E by an American who lives now in Paris, Black Black American, and she had has written a book about entertaining kind of the way the French do. But she, because she's an American, she can view it from an American perspective. And she said that her mother carefully collected all this china, enough for 12. And one year before Thanksgiving, she put it all out on the table and called in Aki, her daughter, and they admired the table. And then her mother said, OK, now put it all away. And she said, why? And she said, well, I don't want to use it. You know, I wanted to own it, but I don't want to use it. And so her motto is use the good China. I mean, don't. And especially if you've been lucky enough to inherit things from your grandparents or your mother, get the stuff out and use it. Now, you can't put anything with a gold rim in the dishwasher, but if it's bone china and it's, you know, not fragile and it's decorated, you can put it in the dishwasher. I would put it in on a very, you know, low setting, you know, like the, the quick wash kind of thing.
0: And not let it dry, not, not have the heat dry. Right, exactly. And take, I mean, so
1: so you basically might as well hand wash it. But I mean, if you've got a big group of people, it's fine to put find china in the dishwasher, just get it out and put it away as soon as possible. And also get those little those little round paper things or some little bit of cardboard or something and just separate the plates. So I happen to own my Arcadia. I have a set of dishes that my mother actually never used. So I'm going to put those into play at some point. And then I've got her California Ivy dishes. So when I want to have a dinner party, you know, I, I can really go wild.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have lots and lots of choices. That sounds really, really fun. And I, I actually am one of those, one of those entertainers who enjoys the whole process. So I like even the cleanup. So I, I like to kind of restore the order after the thing has happened. And so the whole thing, I, I just love it. I love, you know, wiping each fork separately at the end mm-hmm. after it comes out of the dishwasher when i put it away and stuff i i just like all of it yeah
1: oh that's wonderful yeah and i think we're we're such a casual society now that it you know and we, we spent the last three years getting all this carry-out food and or cooking at home but cooking just to get a meal on the table you know and so Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's give us an opportunity to, you know, to have a little flair and to really take that moment and enjoy what we're doing.
0: That's true. That's really true. I do want to say that we are lucky at the museum this year is that we are going to have a turkey cooking class. Great. We we have Dee Levine, who is our 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 chef but we also have the sister of our our CEO Judith and she is going to be talking about her brining and spatchcocking that she mm-hmm. really makes it quick and during that class which is is one of those free with admission things we're going to be eating turkey so oh. that to be fun so we can get started and we're also collecting cans of good food for the for the food bank and uh, that way you know everybody can do a little bit of giving back just by coming to the museum and that should be fun
1: one of the things I was going to recommend to people and I don't know if anyone listening is an inexperienced cook but I actually started learning to cook turkey with a turkey breast Uh and I often will have a turkey breast at my parties because they cook up much faster than the entire turkey. And you often have with the turkey, you have the conundrum of the dark meat versus the white meat and the you know the wings and the legs cook faster than the, the body of the turkey. So try, start with a turkey breast. Any butcher will cut you. I mean, we have some great butchers up here, so they'll cut you a turkey breast or you can buy a turkey breast. They're pretty easy to find. And then what I do with mine, <laughs> to tell you a quick story. So I don't know where I learned this and it might've been watching a Julia Child episode, but I learned about basting the turkey with herbal tea. So <laughs> I put herbs under the skin of the turkey. I don't use any butter, any oil. And I started at a high temperature, which is definitely a Julia Child thing. So 425. And then I baste it as it go in. And then 425, this is for the turkey breast for about 20 minutes, and then I turn the heat down to about 375 and baste it every 30 minutes until it's done. And you get the most wonderful flavored turkey. It's not dry at all. And then you get this wonderful flavored drippings that you can then use for your gravy. So you have kind of an herbal gravy going on. Now, I have recently started brining poultry, and brining will give you a nice juicy poultry as well. But if you forget, you can make this tea. Well, my mother was coming to visit me on Thanksgiving in Washington, D.C. one year, and I had made the tarragon tea ahead of time. It's basically chicken bouillon with herbs in it. I put it in the refrigerator And so my mother was visiting, and I saw her drinking, and I said, what are you drinking? And she said, oh, I found this nice iced tea in the refrigerator. I said, that's for the turkey. You're drinking the tarragon tea. And she said, oh, no wonder it tasted so good. (laughs) So yeah, so that's that's my one of my methods. But we ought to talk about cranberry sauce.
0: Oh yes, we have to talk about cranberry sauce. But before I do, I want to say. You're uh, you're recommending the breast and I'm the one who has extra turkey legs and thighs. <laughs> hey, yeah, sure. Cuz yeah. they also cook very fast yeah. and you know, and they don't dry out the way uh the breast does. Right,
1: and a lot of people like dark meat better anyway and people love a nice turkey leg. I mean, and, that's and- a meal in itself right yeah. there. Uh,
0: that's that's, uh, that's why we we always get extra ones. Um yeah. so let's talk about Uh, Let's talk about cranberries. You talk about your cranberry sauce. Okay, so my cranberry sauce...
1: So because of my New England roots, I mean, to me, cranberries are, you know, probably like Setsumas are in New Orleans. I mean, the minute you see the cranberries, like, yay, here come the cranberries. So, and I've already seen them in the markets up here. So I'm excited <laughs> about that. And Michigan is a cranberry growing state. So Massachusetts, obviously, Wisconsin, Michigan are cranberry growing states. And so my cranberry sauce is really cranberry relish, I think, technically, and it's not cooked. So you take that bag, it's a 12 ounce bag of, of um, cranberries. You take a whole orange and quarter it and remove any any uh, pits that you see, seeds that you see. Um, then you take a quarter to a third of a cup of toasted walnuts if you want them. Some spices, I use ginger because I love ginger. People can use cinnamon, people can use cloves. Mm-hmm.
0: Dry dried ground ginger, or do you use fresh ginger? Well, I you can use either one.
1: I always have ground ginger on hand, but I do have a source for fresh ginger, and I love to use fresh ginger. Oh my goodness, that's just one of my favorite things on earth. So you put all of this in a food processor, and you just start or blender. Blender works fine too. And you just start whirling the food processor. I would I would pulse it versus just turning it on because you can end up with mush but you pulse 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 until you start to see everything get really chopped up and not too fine because you want a little bit of oh and sugar I should have said that you know I i don't put a lot of sugar in my cranberry sauce just because I don't like anything super sweet but some people think cranberries are too tart and I don't blame them they are tart so you can add a couple tablespoons of sugar as you're getting started and then white sugar or brown sugar? I use white sugar, you know, just whatever you have. And then, although I do have maple sugar and that gives it a nice little flavor too. And then you, you know, kind of open it up, look at the bowl, taste it. If it's too dry, because it depends on the orange and, you know, we, you all have those nice sweet oranges. But up here, we probably haven't gotten the best citrus yet. It's a little early. So if it's a little too dry, add a tablespoon or so of orange juice and mix it up. And then it's ready. And you just dump it out and put it in a nice bowl. And it does improve the flavor does get a little deeper the longer that you let it sit. And some people will put a little brandy on it, you know, that might liven it up a little bit. But essentially, it's side dish. So you can put it with their turkey, the next day, you can have it on a turkey sandwich. You can have it in yogurt. I've stirred some into oatmeal, and it keeps really nicely if you put it in a airtight container. So you might go, my gosh, look at all this cranberry sauce. But it's definitely the kind of thing that you will keep for about a week in the refrigerator. But yours is easier and sounds very nice.
0: Well, so I developed my recipe for cranberry sauce when... I was being gifted all of these jars of pepper jelly, mm-hmm. which I never really figured out how to use. And I mean, to me, the only thing you could do with pepper jelly is put it on, you know, that block of oh the cream, cream cheese, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> and and just nuke it you know
1: a lazy and, a lazy uh, appetizer
0: exactly yeah. uh, and so i, I really never uh, never had an appreciation for pepper jelly and so one day when i was in a hurry and it was like okay you need cranberry sauce i opened up the package of fresh cranberries i jumped in about you know, an eight ounce of uh, jar yeah. of homemade, homemade pepper jelly. And I put it in the uh, microwave and I nuked it for like six minutes or something and stirred it up, tasted it, to see that the cranberries had kind of popped and mixed in or whatever. And that was it. You know, it has pectin in it. It has sugar in it. It has all the things that you need to have Something that's kind of like a cranberry sauce, and so that's it. That's my cranberry sauce. It's my good, that just
1: sounds delicious. I'm gonna make that too. I, my friend Mark Remillard, Mark works for ABC Audio, and we were both speaking at a panel in Orlando, and we had gone to the farmer's market down there, which is just fantastic. I think it's in winter haven it's the next town over from orlando and they had this fantastic selection of sort of southern jellies and honeys and i bought tupelo honey there for the first time and then mark bought this jar of pepper jelly and he was so excited to take it back to phoenix and they took it from him at tsa oh more than three ounces of liquid. So I've always felt bad about that. Mark, if you're listening, someday you're going to get a gift of pepper jelly. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> oh, that's too bad. That really is. Really.
1: That was a disappointment.
0: Well, Mickey, thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation about Thanksgiving. What we need to do is plan another one to talk about the after, the after uh, food um, of Thanksgiving, so that we, well, can- we should
1: do we should also do Christmas because oh, I right. I so Christmas is my holiday so okay. I I know your
0: Thanksgiving's your Thanksgiving favorite. it's right? my favorite. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. mine
1: is definitely Christmas, and I have many Christmas dining traditions, and just absolutely love Christmas to pieces. And for me, I mean, especially as you get older, it's not as much about the gift giving as it is about just the fellowship, the music, the lights. But in New Orleans, there's the very special tradition of Revion dinners. So I think we could cover a lot in a Christmas episode.
0: I I think so, too. That's a really good idea. We'll have to find a time to do that. (laughs) There we go. Well, thanks so much for having me, Liz. It's my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, a part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Subscribe to this and other food and drink-related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.